right, so my title this morning is Don't Leave the Battle. Don't Leave the Battle. That's going to be the title. And we're going to talk about not our, our typical message on battles. We've been talking about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We've been talking about spiritual warfare, that there's a battle going on over our lives each and every day. And whether we recognize it or not is is the big thing. And so that's what, what we've been talking about. Spirit of truth and spirit of error. Which one are we listening to? And can we recognize the two? And so we're going to talk about what battle are we even, are we even focusing on? Are we, are we identifying the right battle? Are we fighting it the correct way? And the enemy never takes time off and we can't afford to take time off either. And so that's going to be where we're headed. So let's look at, at 1 Peter 5.8. And I'm going to read that I'm going to read that in the Amplified. So it's going to come up on the screen in the Amplified as you're turning over there. Just make a note of that. And it says, be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind, be vigilant and cautious at all times. Not sometimes, right? It says all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion in fierce hunger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. That's kind of brutal. Welcome to church this morning. Sorry to get gory right off the bat. Um, But... That is a brutal. He is after us. The enemy does not play nice. And sometimes I feel like we see our enemy as this little kitty cat, right? It, oh, sin won't really get me. And that's how we see it. But no, he is roaring. It says that he is roaming about. He's looking to devour like a hungry lion. That he is seeking somebody that he can devour. He is looking to take us out. He does our homework. He does not want us to fulfill the plans and the purposes that God has for our life. See, at the beginning, see, Satan was kicked out of heaven. He was kicked out of heaven because he had a jealousy. He had a comparison with God. So his whole goal in life is not just to be like, oh, yeah, I'll just make home on earth. His whole goal in life is I want to destroy everything God created. I want to distort everything God created. I want to make it look like God, and then I want to take people out. He is not playing nice. And I want us to get a full revelation of that this morning, that there is an enemy after our soul, and he's not here to play nice. He is out to take us out. He's out to take our families out. He's out to take our kids out. He's out to take our marriage out. He does not play nice, and there's no just little dabble in sin that won't wreck our lives. And I'm going to show you that here. All right, let's look at uh, one more. Let's look at Matthew 11:12 before we get into our, our story here. And it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And that to be our challenge today as we go through this, that we can't just passively passively walk through life. We can't passively have a, have a relationship with God. We can't passively walk through marriage. We can't passively raise our kids. We can't passively be the person that God has called us to be, that we have to come at it with a vengeance and we have to come at it with a violence to say, I will be who God has accomplished. I will not tolerate. I will say no. I will yell louder than the unbelief that I have a violence in me that says, I will not walk contrary to the word of God. I will not listen to things contrary to the word of God. That there's a violence in our life that it's not just, uh, I mean, it's all right. And we just live passively. But that we truly see that there's a violence. And I want to, I'm going to kind of jump to the end and jump back here just because I want to set a foundation for this. You see, um, the reason, sometimes, sometimes the question is, what's the big deal with sin? It's just a little bit of this. It's just a little bit of that. It's just a little of this. What's the big deal with that? See, sin is the very thing that separated us from God to beginning. Okay, why do you tell your kids not to touch the hot stove? So they don't get burnt, right? 
okay? We tell them not to touch the hot stove. If you knew that something was poisonous that your friend was about to drink, I mean, if you liked this person, then you would tell them, right? Don't drink that. Don't, I don't want something to happen to you. Okay, so God isn't coming at like, I want you to have no fun. Therefore, I came up with thou shalt nots. That's not the God that we serve. God's going, I don't want you burned. And the wages of sin and death, or the wages of sin are death. The only, the only thing sin leads to is death. It says that the devil is the father of all lies. It says that he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So the only thing that he can do for you is to steal, to kill, and destroy, and to lie to you. Those are the only four things the enemy will do to you. There's not anything else. There's not, oh, he had a really good day today. He was nice. It's not that. He is out to steal, to kill, and destroy, and to lie. Okay, and we serve a God that loves us so much that would you let your kids be somewhere where you knew they were going to be stolen from, killed, or destroyed? No, like absolutely not. You're like, no, I will guard them. I will protect them. I will not be there. And you know, sometimes our kids don't understand and they're like, why can't I go there? Why can't I do this? Why can't I be around that person? They, they have no clue. But for us, we're going, we just want to protect you. We don't want you to get hurt. We don't want to see you destroyed. We don't want to see you lied to. And that's where our God is, where he's going, I want to protect you. And so why why is sin a big deal? Why does it even matter? Because there's only, there's only one end to sin. There's only one thing that it's going to lead to, and it's not to life. And when we serve a God that wants to give us life and life more abundantly, and a God that cannot lie to us, that there's only truth in him, that's why it's so important in discerning truth and errors. My dad was talking about last week, but why is it such a big deal? Because it will take you out. And that's why we serve just such a loving God that says, I don't want it to take you out, but I want to I wanna show us. Let's identify the battle and how to not leave the battle. So I want to go to 2 Samuel 12, 1. And we're going to look at a couple of stories here. All right. And it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little, I can never say this right, you, 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 lamb, I'm not a sheep person, which we're going to call it a calf, one little calf, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Okay, that's kind of a, a crazy thing for Nathan to say to him when he's telling this whole story and going, There was this rich man, and he had so many sheep. He had so many, he had a huge flock. But then there was this poor man, and he only had one. But this traveler came, 
And because this traveler came, this guy didn't want to take from his flock. He took from the poor man's flock who had his one lamb that he just, he cuddled that lamb. He let that lamb in at night. He let him out in the morning. He probably fed him like scrap. I don't know if lambs eat scraps off the table, but my dog does. So, I mean, I love my dog. So I just relate it to that, that, you know, he took care of this. And so the, the rich man took the poor man's lamb. So then David's so mad. And he's like, I can't believe somebody would do this. And Nathan said, that, that guy's you, David. That guy's you. So I want to introduce something here, and then we're going to go see what, what Nathan was really talking about, what, what David had in his life that he was really talking about. But the traveler, I want us to see the traveler as, as thoughts that the enemy plants in our life. The thoughts that the enemy plants there. Because the battle, the real battle, sometimes we think the battles we face are only external. It's a battle with our family or a battle with our job or a battle in our finances or a battle. Those are just external things that are there. The true battle that we fight is the battle in our mind. It's so six inches right here between our ears. That's the battle that we fight. Because regardless of what battle we face on the inside, if we have our mind in check, if we're where we're supposed to be mentally, if we're where we're at in the word, if we are taking our thoughts captive, if we are truly guarding our hearts, guarding our minds, if we are guarding those things, and regardless of what we face, we can have faith in that outcome. We can speak truth in that outcome. But if it's not already in us, we can't fight it when the battle's actually there. So this battle here is in our mind, and this will all make sense in just a minute, but this traveler came, right? So when we choose to allow in and feed something that's contrary to the Word of God, when we allow in just, just that little thought, that little thing, but when we allow it in, it might come. It might, it might, a bird can fly over your head, and that's fine, but if it makes a nest in your head, that's probably a problem, Right? Okay, so a thought can come, a thought can go, but when we allow those thoughts to make a nest in our brain, when we allow those things in and we feed those things, that's when it becomes a problem. Because here's what happened with this rich man, is he allowed, he allowed the traveler in, he fed the traveler, but in order to feed the traveler, he had to sacrifice something that wasn't his to sacrifice. Okay? And in our lives, when we allow these things in, when we allow thoughts of the enemy, when we allow lies, when we allow just that little thought, that little thing that maybe doesn't line up with the word of God, when we allow that in and we feed it, then we'll end up sacrificing something that wasn't ours to sacrifice. Maybe we sacrifice our body because it's lust. Maybe we sacrifice our family because we're after just this job and money. Maybe we sacrifice the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God's put on the inside of us. Maybe we sacrifice friendship. Maybe we sacrifice, maybe we sacrifice the peace that God put in there. Maybe we sacrifice the joy that God put in there. See, it says that our body's the temple, right? But it also says that everything in the world and everything of it, 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 it belongs to God. Everything in our lives belongs to God. Nothing is our own. And so when we take something and we feed something that comes from the enemy, anything contrary to the word of God, when we take that in and we allow it to stay there and we feed it, then we sacrifice something that wasn't ours to sacrifice. We sacrifice something that God put in there because we can't have both. We chose to feed this thing. And so we starve what God put there. So we have sacrificed something that was never ours to sacrifice. So let's look over it at 2 Samuel 11.1. 1. So just the page back. And we're going to look, so this, this story of the lamb was a year after this occurrence that we're about to read took place. And, you know, things in our life, our mind, that battle that's going on in our mind can become very common in times that maybe we're busy. 
we are just busy. Life is busy. So I can't keep up with my time in the word. I can't keep up with my time in worship. I can't keep up. And so life just gets busy and that's the thing that goes, right? And so then everything we're thinking on is just everything else that's coming in. Or maybe it's because we're facing such a big circumstance over here, the only thing we're focusing on is that circumstance. Or maybe, like we're about to read, it's a time where really everything is just going good and I can take a deep breath. Where finally, for once, like our marriage is flowing, finances are flowing, my job's flowing, whatever it may be, I just feel good about life. I feel like I've been fighting, 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 and now I'm in a place that things are just going good. So I'm just going to take a little bit of break. So I let my guard down for a minute, right? We just sit back. We just let our, we leave the battle. We let our guard down for a minute. I don't need to meditate on the word today because I've been meditating on it and it got me to this place. So now I'm going to chill. And it's a very dangerous place because it's the same place David is right here. David has won battle after battle after battle after battle. The Ark of the Covenant is in Jerusalem. Okay, things are going great for King David. All right, so let's pick up in 11.1 here. And it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. Okay, it said the kings go out to battle at this time, right? The kings were supposed to go out to battle. Was David a king? Okay, David stayed home. David didn't go to battle that day. Everything's going great for David. David's going to take the day off because this external enemy, David can defeat, right? It's one he's seen before. And so he sends his mighty men. He, sends, and he says, you guys go. But David stayed back. And in our lives, it can happen the same way where I've faced these things before. I've overcome these things before. Those things are just that. Everything's going good. I'm going to take the day off. Right? I don't need to renew my mind today. I don't need, I'm just taking the day off. So what happens here? It says, Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah, when Uriah had come, David asked how Joab was doing, and how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark, of it, the ark and Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today also and tomorrow. I will let you depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now when David called him, he ate and drank before him. And he made him drunk. And that evening he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord. But he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. 
And he wrote the letter saying, set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. All right, so let's back up to the beginning. I know it was a little bit of a long story, but we're going to look. This is, the, this is the, the poor man and the rich man that Nathan was talking about a year later. Okay, so what happened with David here? David was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be. He was supposed to be at battle, but he decided to take the day off. And so he walked out and he sees Bathsheba. Okay, seeing Bathsheba, that's not the problem. We live in a world where we see things all the time. Okay, but here's what the next verse says. It said in verse three, it says that he sent and inquired about her. Okay, so he didn't just see her. Not just see her, not just good deal, leave and go back, right? He saw her, but then he inquired about her which means he let the traveler in. He fed the traveler. He invited him in to stay. He started thinking about this. And so it was a battle that was going on in his mind. See, David didn't know that such a little thing would make such a big difference. David didn't know that this little thought all of a sudden turns into Bathsheba being pregnant. So now there's adultery that just happened. He gets the husband home thinking, I just get the husband to go sleep with his wife. And then everybody thinks the baby's his and it's not a problem. But then Uriah won't, because Uriah has some, some character. Uriah has some morals to him that he says, no, I'm supposed to be at the battle. I'm not supposed to be here. And so then he ends up killing this guy. So now there's murder. One thought, one thought led to all of this. Okay, and this is always crazy to me here, because, well, let's go to a scripture, and then I'll come back to that. Let's go to uh, James 1.12, and we're going to read this one in the Amplified as well, so it'll come up on the screens. And it says, blessed, happy to be envied is the man who is patient under trial and stands up under temptation. For when he has stood the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. But every person is tempted when he is drawn away, enticed and baited by his own evil desire. Hold on right there before you switch that. By whose desire? His own desire, right? Let's go on, and then I'll come back to that verse. Then the evil desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. Do not be misled, my beloved brethren. Okay. Here's the important part here. It says that, can you go back to, I think it was, it was 13. Yeah, perfect. But every person is tempted when he is drawn away, enticed and baited by his own evil desire. Okay, because here's a, here's a, a thing that we have with the enemy. We think, well, the enemy just tempted and I fell into it. Okay, this is the only way sin can take place is that when we are enticed by the enemy, yes, the devil's going to set stuff. The devil, there's going to be stuff that we are tempted by. There's going to be stuff that comes our way. But that's not the sin, right? Just like Bathsheba taking a bath wasn't a sin. David seeing her wasn't a sin. But it was when he thought about it, it became sin. Okay, so there's the enticement of the enemy, but it's our own desire. And when our own desire mixes with the enticement of the enemy, that's where sin is birthed. And so we have to find out what these desires are on the inside of us. And so with David, it's always amazing to me when I read this story, I go, man, this seems to escalate like rather quickly. David's like this perfect person forever, right? We see nothing wrong with David. And then all of a sudden, just because he doesn't go to battle, all this happens. 
Like, does that ever bothered anybody else? Like, why is this so extreme? Like, God, you could have used an example that wasn't so psycho. Like, people just don't turn psycho. There's like, there's got to be a lead up. And there's no, there's no story in here with David where there's a lead up to this massive breakout. But then in our lives, sometimes it feels that way. How did I get here? I never thought I would do this. I never thought I would be in this. I never thought that these are the decisions that I would be making. But with David, I'm the same way where I'm going, so wow. Like you're quite, like you just had a bad day. That's all I can explain. So I did some homework going backwards. Let's look at Deuteronomy 17, 16. Because I want to, I want to back this part up where it says, by our own evil desires. And I go, did, did David have a desire that we don't know about that wasn't dealt with? All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 17 is God laying down the rules for, for the priests, for the Levites, for all the important people in the Bible, right? The section we're about to read is the rules and the commands that God set down for the kings. Okay, and this was crazy to me. I've never seen this. Verse 16, it says, But he shall not multiply in horses for himself. That's why I'm not a king. Nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, You shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Here was the thing about David. David was a very wealthy man, and he gave it all to Solomon to build the temple. Okay, money was not a problem for him. Like, no, I can get rid of it. I have no hold with money. Okay, and then his horses, after a huge successful battle, David would sacrifice his horses to God because God delivered him from the enemy. Okay, so clearly his horses weren't like a hold on his heart. But just randomly, in 2 Samuel 5.13, and you don't have to put that one up, it says, David took for himself more wives and more concubines. More wives and more concubines. There were three things that kings were not supposed to have. And that was too many horses, too much gold and silver, and too many wives. Three things. And it said that as you study this out, if you go through all the kings of Israel, all of them broke one, if not all three of these. That they couldn't, they couldn't follow all three commands. But why did, why did God say this? It says that his heart will turn away. And so David had too many wives already. He had too many concubines. That was, that was 2 Samuel chapter 5. We're in chapter 11 now. So he obviously has had this problem, right? But here's the next part. Let's read on and read how important this was to God. And it says, and, also, and it shall also be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom. Okay, so when he becomes king, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priests, the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left, or that he may and that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel." Okay, so that's, that's pretty intense for God to say, I want you to write these down. When you become king, you sit on that throne, you write down the commands. Again, why? We saw where one broken command left David. We saw where he ended up. But God knew, I want to protect my kingdom. And I know that the enemy, see, God didn't see just the Philistines or the whoever else they fought throughout the Bible, I'm drawing a blank, but he didn't see all these enemies as the real enemy. 
He saw behind the scenes going, there is an enemy that's after my people. And there's an enemy that's after my kings. And he's not necessarily going to get through them. I can defeat the physical enemies with them in hand. What I can't defeat is they have, they have the choice with their thoughts and they have the, th- the choice with their heart. And that's where it begins. And God knew that if there was an enemy, it was going to attack them there. Okay, and this was the other crazy part to me, is that these three things correspond directly in First John, and we're going to get there in just a minute, to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The exact three things that tempted, Jesus was tempted by in the, in the wilderness. The same three things. Why didn't Jesus fall into temptation? Because there was no desire in his heart to fall into temptation. There was no desire for the pride of life. There was no desire for the lust of the flesh. There was no desire for the lust of the eyes. That Jesus, his desire was to serve God. His desire was to honor God above all else. And so he didn't fall into the temptation, but it is the exact same three temptations that Jesus faced it in the wilderness. And it's the exact three temptations that he said, my kings are going to face. And that's why I need them to write it down. And that's why I need to read it every single day. How many times in the word does it tell us to be in the word every day? To meditate on the word day and night. To not forsake my commandments. To bind them around your neck. How many times in the word does it say how important these commandments are? Not so it's a book of rules, but because... It brings life because it's going to save us from some heartache. Had David just followed, but I look at David and I go, we go back to chapter five and it says that he just accumulated more wives and more concubines. David obviously had this inner, inner thing that was a problem for him. And so one, just, just one more wife, not a problem. Just one more concubine, not a problem. Just one more, not a problem, right? And we do this in our lives where we're like, this, this atmosphere is okay. Just, just a little bit in that movie, just a little bit, and just talking this way a little bit, just listening to this a little bit, just, and we justified the little bits. And David justified the little bits until there was Bathsheba, and it was just one more. And the just one more was the very thing that, that took it out. He became an adulterer. He became a murderer says that if you read through and study out the whole thing and the whole story, that he actually broke all Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. <laughs> like, the only other person I knew that could do that was like Moses when he dropped them, like literally. But he literally broke all Ten Commandments in this story. I know. It's super impressive. Like, don't take that as a challenge or a goal, but he did it. And it wasn't his plan. I'm going to break all Ten of these commandments. His, his, his heart, it says that he's a man after God's own heart. David was a worshiper, even the whole time with Saul. See, David had so much character, so much honor, that he wouldn't cross the line even with a man that was trying to kill him. And see, David faced Goliath, but, but here was the thing with Goliath. David didn't struggle with the pride of life. So it was very easy for him to defeat Goliath God's way. His struggle was with one of the others. And so just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit. And then he stayed home from the battle, which for us is those days that we decide to take off. I don't need the word today. I don't need what God has to say today. It's not as important to me today because I just, I'm going to take this time off. And little do we know those little things, those that one at a time, that one little thing will grow and grow and grow until it takes us out. And we see it happen here with David. Let's look at... um, 1 John 2.16. I absolutely love sports. But one of the craziest things to me that happens with sports every year, 
around playoff time is that um, the upsets that take place. You guys watch sports? You see how many upsets take place? Right around districts, right around regionals, right around playoffs, there's this team that's just completely undefeated. We had one in our own league here, an undefeated team. And they played a team that had a, I mean, they had a good record. It wasn't awful, but it wasn't 19-0. And they come in and they knock this team out. And why does that happen? And as a coach, that happened all the time where I'm going, we are so the better team. And <laughs> like we just lose, and I don't know why. But what happens? The team that's always up here will lose to inferior enemy because they take it common. We already have it won. We already have this team beat. We're better than this team. And how many times does the underdog team come in? How many comebacks happen? Because we take for granted our opponent, right? So we have an inferior enemy in our lives. And how many times is there an upset? Literally upsetting. There's this upset that happens because we take for granted our enemy. We take for granted what he wants to do. We take for granted his motive. And then we have this upset that we got to deal with. So in, in 1 John 2, 16, oh, I'm going to start in 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. He who does the will of God abides forever. Okay, sometimes in the, in the Bible, I feel like we, we use the world versus the word so much that we don't understand what the world really means. So I wrote down the definition of what, when, when world is used in the Bible, what it actually means here. And it's not the physical world, but it's the sphere of evil operating under the dominion of Satan. It's not the physical world, but it's the sphere of evil operating under the dominion of Satan. So when it's saying be in the world and not of it, when it says here that for all that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world, that it's going, don't, don't give yourself over to those things because they are under the dominion of the enemy. They're not from me. And these things that are trying to lure you away, these things that are trying to pull you away, and what could it be? It could be things like gossip. It could be things like bitterness. It could be unforgiveness. It could be chasing after money. It could be chasing. See, there's a huge difference between God giving us the desires of our heart and him giving us over to our desires. There's a huge difference because when God gives us desires of our heart, there's a prerequisite that comes with that, saying that we honor God, that we are following God, that we are steadfast and we are loyal to God and our heart belongs to God. But when he gives us over to our desires, it's because we desire these things outside of God so much and he is trying to protect us to the point that he says, take it. I'm not gonna keep you from it. And then we're handed over to these desires, and we're going to get to a, to a scripture about that in just a minute. But I want us to, to understand here the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Same commands that he gave to the king and the same things that Jesus was tempted by. And we have to understand that the devil and hell is patient with us. He's patient. Have you guys seen, I mean, you guys see all the, like the crime shows and stuff, and when they go undercover or when they're, when they're watching somebody to see kind of their movements, Right? Most of the murders in the movie happens because someone watches their movements. They know where they're driving, when they're going to be there, which school their kids are in, what time they're picked up, what time they get home, right? Okay, because they're watched constantly. Satan does the same thing with our life. He goes, what makes them smile that's contrary to the word of God? What interest do they have that's just contrary to the word of God? 
Is it, is it gossip? Is it fear? Is it doubt? For, for David, it was lust. What interest, what makes him smile that's just contrary to me? What, what things make him smile that's contrary to the word, that's contrary to who they are? And those are the things that I'm gonna entice him with because there's a desire on the inside of him that's not being dealt with. And eventually it's gonna come out. And Satan knows that. And he's patient. He's more patient than we are. And he's after it. The temptation is when the devil's looking through the keyhole, but it manifests when we let him in. If the enemy can't get in us, he can't work through us. If we don't let him in our mind, if we don't let him stay there, if we don't invite him in, if we don't feed him, then he can't work through us to accomplish his plans and purposes. Because he has plans and purposes for us just like God. He wants us to destroy us, but before that, he wants us to destroy everybody around us too. And that's his goal is to take everybody out. Let's look at Mark seven fifteen. It says, there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things that come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. Nothing that comes in defile him. So the things that we see, the things, the things that we hear, we see them, we hear things, that happens. That's not what defiles us. But when we allow it to, to, to make, it, make itself home in our, in our house, when we allow it in and we feed that thing, then it's going to come out and that's what defiles us. It says, not what comes in, but just what comes out is what defiles a man. How quickly entertaining sin can pollute someone as noble as King David, a man after God's own heart. David didn't know that entertaining one thought would lead to all the things that it did. We have to be serious about our thoughts. What are we feeding? And let's look at just a couple verses on, on our minds here. And then we'll, we're almost done. So just a couple more minutes here. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.4. And we're going to read 2.15 while we're there as well. It says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of his life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. When we're engaged in the battle like we're supposed to be, then all these affairs, all these thoughts coming our way, all these things, we don't entangle ourselves with them. That we please God who enlisted us as a soldier. And then look at 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved by God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And let's go over to Hebrews 12.1. And it says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the Father. But it says that let us lay aside every weight and let us lay aside every saint, sin that so easily ensnares us, which means let's deal with the stuff that's on the inside. Let's deal with the stuff, this battle that's going on the inside. What lusts, what desires, what things do we have on the inside of us that... When we take a break from God, when we take a break from the word, when we get out of that, when we leave the battle, is what the thing is going to be that's going to attack us. So what is that thing? What's going on on the inside of us? 2 Corinthians 10.3. And For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
We bring every thought into captivity that anything that exalts itself against who God is in our life, that we go, no, that's not okay. And I'm not gonna feed it in my life. And it doesn't get to stay here in my life. Um, let's go to Isaiah 55, seven. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will, be, he will abundantly pardon it was interesting to me here that it says in the unrighteous man, his thoughts, what caused him to be unrighteous, what caused him to do unrighteous things. And it points it out right here and says his thoughts. What are we thinking on? What are we meditating on? What are we feeding in our lives? Okay, I want to look at just one more scripture here and I want to read it in the Amplified. That's Romans 1.18. And this is the dangerous part of constantly just entertaining thoughts, entertaining thoughts. This is the point that David was at where he just entertained, 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 entertained and got to the point that God said, I'll give you over to the desires. You want it so bad? Because David, God had him write it down. He knew it was wrong. How many times do the things in our life that we go, I know this is wrong. I know that I shouldn't be thinking this way. I know that I shouldn't be talking this way. I know I shouldn't be listening to this. I know I shouldn't be looking at this. I know because we know because of the word. David knew because he had to write it down and read it every day. David knew, but he knew and chose to do anyway. And in our lives, we can know and choose to do anyway because when we're in the situation, just a little bit seems to be okay. And we're gonna see right here how dangerous this is. This was a crazy scripture to me, but so true for even where our world is at today. For God's holy wrath and indignation are revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their wickedness repress and hinder truth and make it inoperative. Okay, here's my one thing right there. So in the New King James, it says that their unrighteousness suppresses the truth. And that is to forcibly put an end to and restrain. That because I chose unrighteousness, I am choosing to believe the lie. Because if we don't believe the truth, right? If the truth is inoperative in our life, then what is operative in our life? A lie, right? If it's not truth, it's a lie. There's no gray area there. And so it says that they suppress to forcibly remove. So when I allow unrighteousness to make itself home in my life, when I allow those thoughts of the enemy to make themselves home in my life, then what I do is I suppress the truth. I get rid of the truth and I take on the lie and they make it inoperative. For that which is known about God is evident to them and made plain in their inner conscience because God himself has shown it to them. For ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature and attributes, that is, his eternal power and divinity, have been made intelligible and clearly discernible in and through the things that have been made in his handiworks. So men are without excuse, altogether without any defense or justification. Because when they know and recognize him as God, they did not honor and glorify him as God or give him thanks. But instead they became futile in godliness, in their thinking, with vain imaginings, foolish reasonings, and stupid speculations, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be smart, they made simpletons of themselves. Simpletons. You guys can call somebody that today, you simpleton. And by them, the glory and majesty and excellence of the immortal God were exchanged for and represented by images. A sim resembling mortal men and birds and beasts and reptiles. Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their own hearts, sexual impurity to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, abandoning them to the 
degrading power of sin. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We're going to stop there. So do we see the effects that God goes, you're without excuse. You're without excuse. You knew who I am. I am evident in all of creation, but because you knew who I was and you chose otherwise, I gave you up to that thing. And it says in the New King James Version, it says it three different times. It says he gave them up to their desires. He gave them up to those things. He gave them up. And if you keep reading, I would read, like in your, just your study time, read all the way through 32. And read where we're at even in the world today and how giving ourselves up to desires, giving ourselves up to those things that God didn't put on the inside of us that are directly from the enemy, that, given, that God given us up to those things where it'll lead. And it's very, very dangerous. And again, the wages of sin are death. And sin doesn't play nice. Play nice. <laughs> Talking like my dad. <laughs> Forgot my S's there for a minute. Okay, I want to say one more thing about David. Because here's, here's where we're at. My heart in this message, my heart behind all of this is not that we're like, great, I'm just the simpleton. The end. Like, that's where we feel, right? And we're just left there. No. That's not my heart in this at all. My heart is that sometimes we, we are focused on a battle that isn't the real battle. That if we don't deal what's in our mind, if we don't deal with what's in our hearts, then every battle we face, it won't... Hello? <laughs> that every battle that we face, that everything that we, that we face in life, the, the hard times, the good times, that it's all going to be influenced on, on, by what's on the inside of us. It's all going to be influenced by our mind. If our mind isn't renewed, it doesn't matter what battle we face out here. We're going to face it from the place of a lie instead of from the place of truth. So we have to identify on the inside of us what is truth and what is a lie. And maybe we're like, well, shoot, I totally feel like I'm David. I don't know. I, I feel like I just, I don't, I don't know how I got here. None of this is okay, and I know it. And maybe we feel that way, but here's what happened with David is there's still restoration, there's still grace, there's still forgiveness. There was consequences for the sin, absolutely. But from David and Bathsheba came Solomon. And we know that from David to Solomon and so on was the lineage of Jesus. And so we know God's redemptive power is absolutely at work.